Well, you know, this Advent season is always such an exciting time for us as a church because um, not only do we focus our sermons on the weekend towards the Advent, but we also focus our giving during this time. And so every year for, for a really long time, uh, we have been offering a special opportunity for you to give to special projects that we engage in. And we've been highlighting those each week. And so even today, as you receive the email, you know that you're hearing about uh, the effort that we've made this year to feed families. In fact, I'll let you read all the details, but just want to remind you that during COVID, and especially during the summer, we were feeding 1,400 families every single week, assembling boxes and organizing for them to be delivered throughout our community. Uh, so many lives that are impacted because of your generosity last Advent season. And so today, as you're watching this, there's on the screen an opportunity for you to text to give to our Advent giving, or you can also write a check uh, above and beyond your normal giving, and you can write Advent on the memo line. Uh, you can contact our office. You can drop a, a check by. You can, you can give online. There's all sorts of ways for you to do that. But if you'd like to engage in helping us meet some extra needs this next coming year, I just encourage you to do that. And I continue to encourage you to check out the great stuff that's included in the email that you got today. Now, I'm also going to be continuing on today in our series toward the, the Christmas celebration, this Advent series. There are four traditional themes when we're celebrating Advent. Um, there's peace, there's hope, there's joy, and there's love. And we're talking about each one of these as we move towards Christmas Eve. And um, today, I'm going to talk about joy. Now, um, as I begin this, I'm just going to share that uh, this particular theme of Advent has presented a very specific challenge for me today, uh, and I'm going to explain why. I made a decision years ago that the pulpit or the platform at the church was not a place for me to ever process my personal journey or, or for me to dialogue about things that I was wrestling with. This is not the place or the context for me to, to share what I'm walking through. Um, I'm not saying that I've chosen to not be transparent. Uh, if, if you know me and you've been around me very long, um, you know that I actually am deeply committed to being transparent and deeply committed to being open. But what I'm trying to say is that I chose to never let this be a cathartic process for me. This is never about me. This is always about you and what you need. Um, so I'm really careful. I'm really careful to, to never allow something that I'm walking through or maybe something I'm wrestling through to shade or influence what I'm sharing with you in my message on any given weekend, um, which is why this particular Advent theme is presenting me with a problem. I'm supposed to talk about joy today. And, uh, and if I'm going to be open with you, I need to confess that the past few days, and probably if I look back, maybe even the past few weeks, uh, I've been really struggling to find joy. Um, in fact, I literally sat at one point this week while I was working on this message, and I just stared at the blinker on my screen. Uh, the, the cursor was just blinking, and it was just sitting there. Uh, and I, I was just speechless. I didn't know where to begin. I just stared. And uh, as I stared and thought about just this mental block I was having around joy, I began to spiral a little bit. And so I, as I sat there just pondering, where am I going to start and how do I do this? I just decided, you know what, I'm going to start by writing a prayer. And so the first thing I, I opened up my Word document sitting there, I, I, I just wrote a prayer and it went something like this. I said, Lord, I'm supposed to write a sermon on joy. And right now, I don't feel very joyful. And then I wrote, and I wish in some ways I wouldn't have written this. I said, Lord, help me write an honest sermon on joy. And then I sat there. And uh, in fact, I sat there and I had to eventually walk away because I just didn't know what to do next. I went and did some other things and I had to wait. I had to wait. I had to wait for the Lord to answer that prayer. Uh, in fact, I waited until this morning. 
I walked in and opened up my computer and looked at that screen and saw that prayer and said, okay, um, I was going to write a message that would have been true, but I'm not sure that it would have been honest. And so as I'm thinking through that, the, this old Billy Joel song um, came to mind called Honesty. <laughs> and he said this, he said, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard. And then this last line really gets me. He says, and mostly what I need from you. And as I was kind of singing that song in my head, it kind of hit me. Maybe what you need from me today is honesty. Um, so here we are. And I'm going to bend one of my rules as a pastor today. I'm not going to break it. I'm just going to bend it. Uh, and I'm going to confess to you that if I'm honest, I have been struggling to find joy. Um, and I was thinking about this. And as I wrote those words, I thought, okay, well, why? And I'm going to tell you that um, I moved my family to a new city a year ago where we can hardly leave our home without wearing a mask. That's really weird. Uh, we looked forward to exploring the new place that we were going to live, but not like this and certainly not the way that it's been. Um, we looked forward to Timbers games. We looked forward to outdoor summer concerts. We looked forward to all sorts of things. And none of those expectations that we had for our family have been met. Uh, I have one daughter who not only moved at the end of her junior year at high school, but is having to now do her senior year in a city where she knows practically nobody. Um, her cross-country season, her cross-country team, which she was going to be the captain of, her season has been postponed, and who knows if they're ever going to do this. Uh, we, we all know what happened with graduations last year. She's just assumed she probably won't graduate in a normal graduation. I have another daughter who um, graduates from college in two weeks. Uh, I picked her up. I plucked her off of her campus last March. And rather than doing life with all of her friends and with her boyfriend, uh, she's been living in our basement, just plugging it out, doing the best that she possibly can do. Now, she is going to walk for graduation across our living room in a couple of weeks. And uh, she's ordered a cap and gown, and she's going to walk in our living room. But that's not what we expected. Um, Thanksgiving. We had the quietest Thanksgiving that we've ever had. There were four of us sitting around the table. Uh, in my 47 years of life, I think I've had 43 Thanksgivings with my parents. It's my parents' favorite holiday. They love getting their family together. And this year, we had to cancel and things are very different. Um, by the way, don't get me started on Zoom meetings. Uh, um, you know there's such a thing as Zoom fatigue. Of course you know this, right? Um, but it goes beyond all these things. In March, I lost a dear friend. We never gathered to celebrate his life. He just sort of slipped away. In fact, it wasn't until a month ago that I finally got to hug his wife for the first time since he passed. Uh, Sherry and I both lost uncles, two uncles, each of us one, on the same day just a few weeks ago. One was COVID-related, one was just health-related, but it was just so disorienting. Um, then, uh, I mean, on top of all of this, and you know this as well as I do, I pastor a church that I've preached live to 16 times. I've seen you all in person 16 times. I've come to you over video 40 times. And that's not including the weekly updates that I sit and do in my office and try to pretend that you're actually watching them on the other side. Um, this week, I heard the story of some B4 folks who haven't watched one sermon since COVID started. And they feel completely disconnected from their church. When I talk to other pastors, um, we're all asking the same question. We all keep saying the same thing. Is anybody going to come back to church when this is over? 
My colleagues are struggling. My friends that do this alongside of me are struggling. In fact, there's a recent survey that says 70% of pastors are actively looking for a new line of work in America today. So, so you take all this stuff and then maybe add a few other things that I didn't mention here and, and you sprinkle a little bit of like political polarization and some social unrest. You sprinkle that on top and do you know what you get with all of this stuff? You get a very inhospitable environment for happiness. This is a very tough environment for happiness to grow in. In fact, as I was thinking about that, I realized it's sort of like trying to grow palm trees in Portland. You can do it. You can grow a palm tree in Portland, but it's just not natural. And it's kind of weird. And it's going to take a lot of extra effort to do that. That's basically what this season has been for happiness, for joy. But here's my consolation in all of this. Even as I share this with you, this is what I know. I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. Um, because all of us have been in this together. Everything that I just rattled off to you, you probably have an equal similar list and you could share all of the same kinds of desolations that have struck your soul over the past several months. You could name all of these things that just haven't turned out the way that you expected them to turn out. We've all had losses. We've all had disappointments. We've all had unmet expectations. We've had significant setbacks, all of us. And we've all tried to make the best of it. In fact, let me just say this. From my observation, I've seen you try. I've watched you. I've seen you. And, and I'll just say this to the vast majority of you watching this. As far as I can tell, you have done an amazing job making the best out of a bad situation. But my guess is that when it comes to the topic of joy, if I said to you, could you just write me something on joy? Because that's the season that we're in. There'd probably be a lot of blinking cursors on the screen happening in this moment. A lot of blank stares, a lot of loss for words. But that's why I think the timing of this message, as ironic as it is, I think it's why it's actually ideal for us. See, Advent, the whole idea of Advent is for us to tap into, for us to, to feel, for us to understand this association with anticipation. Advent is, is equal to this anticipation of the gift that God is giving us in the birth of Jesus. It's associated with longing, this idea that we desire something. In fact, there's this beautiful Portuguese word that I love. It's, it's saudade, and saudade uh, is barely translatable into English, but it's this idea of deep emotional longing for something or someone that you know is out there, but it's been so long since you've experienced it or seen them that, that you've almost forgotten what it was like. That's this idea. Advent is about waiting for that thing, that thing that you know is out there, but you just haven't seen it or felt it in so long. Right now, you and I long for joy. So there's this moment that we read about. There are these shepherds who are tending their flocks by night, as the song likes to say. Uh, in other words, they were just minding their own business, right? These shepherds were minding their own business. But let me just also remind you that business wasn't very good during those days. Not if you were a Hebrew in the first century, living in a Roman-occupied colony. Especially not if you were a Hebrew living in that colony, holding on to one of the last rungs of the social ladder. That's who these individuals are. That's who we're talking about. Life for these individuals may not have been as bad as it is in 2020, but it certainly wasn't much better. They couldn't look around and say, we've got the good life going on here. And, and in the middle of this evening, the song that we sing, the scriptures that we read, we read that, that this, this being shows up and makes this announcement to these shepherds. 
Given the setting, given knowing who they are, where they live, their life experience, their circumstances, when you understand those things, suddenly you realize the power of what this angel announces to them in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can read this or just see it on the screen. In verse 10, it says, The angel appears and then says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And did you catch what he just said? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So so first, this, this phrase, great joy, it's such a cool phrase in the Greek language. I absolutely love this. Um, the Greek word for um, for for great used here looks like this. So if you look at your screen, you'll see this Greek word for, for, for great, which it doesn't really look that cool until you translate it to English and it looks like this. Now, I'm not making this up. And it means exactly what it means. Mega. The angel is bringing good news of mega joy. Mega is the Greek word for great mega joy. Like the angel shows up and says, I got mega joy for all of you. And I just love this. I love it because when you hear that, it makes sense. You suddenly now know this is why the shepherds take off and they leave their flocks and they go to find this newborn child because this is a mega joy. This isn't just your average run-of-the-mill everyday joy. This is your larger-than-life Costco-sized joy that's being delivered. In fact, not only just delivered to a few people, notice the second part, it's for all people. In a society that was filled with social barriers and defined by class struggle, there weren't very many things that were for everybody. You have to understand this. But this, this is mega joy for all. Like if I was running for political office, this would be my campaign slogan, right? Mega joy for the masses. That's what we're offering, right? Now to expand on this a little bit further, it's like the angels are saying this, hey, There is a joy that you can have now, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances are. That's what the angel's saying to them. There's a joy that you can have, regardless of how rough the year has been, regardless of how disappointed you are, regardless of how unmet your expectations have been. There is a joy that is made available to you. The birth of this child, his existence, his entrance into this world means that you and I can have joy and not just a small amount. (laughs) It's mega joy, (laughs) a lot of joy. But here's the thing about joy, and it's obvious because of what I shared at the beginning. Joy is elusive. We can lose it. We can, we can misunderstand it. We can even forget where it's actually found. Now, I've also heard some people say that we can be robbed of our joy, that people sometimes talk about other people having their joy stolen from them. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But, but most of those things, I can say that's exactly what I've experienced lately. Maybe you have too. So how does that happen? How do we take something that Jesus has given us and gifted us with like joy, and how do we lose it? How do we How do we lose sight of it? How do we go from an angel's announcement that we have mega joy to a place where I can honestly look at this moment and say to you, I haven't had it for a while. Well, in order to explain this, um, 
and, and explain how we turn things around, I want to talk about three different ideas. I want to talk about shallow joy. I want to talk about deep sorrow. And then I want to talk about deep joy. So let me start with this first one, shallow joy. Um, there is a world uh, that we live in that has shallow joy everywhere. In fact, the joy of the shallow world is, is the oblivious joy that, that exists. Um, Shallow joy is naive. Shallow joy is unaware of how the world really is working. Um, that joy, if you think about it, if you look around our culture, that joy is sort of manifest oftentimes in pop music. Um, doesn't matter what generation you live in, where you live, there's always some song that basically uh, is essentially on some level, someone saying some version of, I just put my hands in the air and I, and I just don't care, right? There's always a song for every generation where it's, well, we're just gonna dance and pretend like nothing's wrong or we're gonna, we're gonna imagine that this world is perfect. It's just like, close your eyes and ignore the world, shut it out and numb yourself. I'm just gonna tell you that there is a joy. I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. There really is a joy that exists because we've simply eluded having to face the brokenness or the injustice or the darkness in our world. You can actually find joy. If you close your eyes and close your ears and just focus on the fun, you can find some sort of joy. And a lot of people live in that place especially people living in first world countries. But let me also say that's a really hard gig to keep up uh, because it gets expensive keeping yourself entertained and keeping all the bad stuff out. And boredom can set in really easily. And so you have to keep moving. You have to keep distracting. You have to keep spending. And then if you think about a global pandemic, if a global pandemic were to hit, well, then what? In fact, this might actually explain a lot that's going on in our culture these days. So it turns out that it's really hard for you and I to stay at the shallow end of the pool of humanity. But that's where some people want to be. But then there's, there's those who move out of that place and they move into the depths of sorrow. So we have, the, we have this sort of shallow joy, but then we have the depths of sorrow. And these are people that aren't just aware that the world is broken. These are people who I call hyper-aware. They love songs like uh, R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts, or they love every single song by Billie Eilish. Like, they are people who like to ache with their music. They like to swim in the sorrow. They like to feel the injustice, right? There's this angst about them. There's this darkness, like the world is a bad place and everything is serious and nothing is ever good. And there's this latent cynicism that's, that's laced in everything they say and everything they do. That's what rules the day. And by the way, I get it. Um, you don't want to be shallow and light. And sometimes in life, you just see so much that you can't ignore what you've seen. But who wants to get stuck in the, in the darkness? Who wants to get stuck in the depths of sorrow? Which brings us to the third option. There are some people who seem to keep going. They go from the, the shallow joy into the deep sorrow, but then somehow they emerge and they come out the other side and there is a deep joy that they experience in their life. I, I've noticed this with some people who have been through really heavy things, heavy moments. Sometimes they'll be on the other side of those things and you will still see a joy in their hearts. It isn't shallow and it, and it isn't numb, but it's still joy. In fact, there, there's this quote that I love. Um, that might be one of the best examples of this. There's a quote by an individual, I'll tell you who it is in just a moment, who said, tread softly, breathe peacefully, and laugh hysterically. Now, I love that quote. Uh, even though it sounds a little too close to that live, love, laugh sign that you bought at Hobby Lobby, 
Um, I still love it. I love these words. Tread softly, breathe peacefully, and laugh hysterically. That's really good. It's really good. But you know what's even better is who said it. Nelson Mandela said those words. A man who was unjustly imprisoned for 27 years of his life simply because he fought for the basic rights of other human beings. 27 years in prison. That might have a way of making you jaded. And you would not expect him to say, tread softly and and breathe peacefully and laugh hysterically. But here's the deal. Some people get through the dark night because they've heard the angel's announcement. They've heard the angel say there is mega joy for all people, and they discover that joy in the morning. That there is a joy that doesn't deny the darkness or the heaviness. But there's also a joy that transcends that darkness. There's a joy that swallows up that darkness. And when you feel that, you are genuinely alive. By the way, this makes sense of other things we hear about when it relates to joy in the Bible. Um, something we read in the book of James is really off-putting for a lot of people. James, the brother of Jesus, is writing to the church at Jerusalem. And in James chapter 1, he says this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me just say this. If shallow joy is what you seek, this verse will never make sense to you. Count it all joy when you encounter trials. But if the depths of joy are what you long for, then suddenly it carries all sorts of rich meaning with it. So so how do you become alive in the sort of way that you can look at trials and actually find joy in the middle of the darkness? Let me explain something. We have, this, um, we have this thing that we could call probably in our lives, in our culture today, the pursuit of aliveness. Maybe you'd call it the pursuit of happiness. I'll call it the pursuit of aliveness. We want to be alive. We want to feel like we're alive. And so, so here's how we do this. Here's how the pursuit typically works in our culture. We decide that we're going to put ourselves first. We decide that we're going to look out for number one. We're going to throw caution to the wind. And we just think, if I do whatever I want uninhibited, then maybe I'll feel alive. And so we do this. We sort of put plans into place and we live out this pattern. And the result of this is a whole list of vocabulary words that have been created just to describe the outcomes of a life that's lived this way. Let me give a few of them to you. This results in regret, remorse, guilt, shame, humiliation. That's the vocabulary of the pursuit of aliveness as our culture tells us. Now, why do I say this? Why do I use this terminology? Well, because if you think about the last time you felt one of these things, regret or remorse or guilt or shame or humiliation, my guess is, in fact, I would say this about myself, my guess is that those moments were preceded by the centralization of me. I made myself the center of my life. You made yourself the center of your life. And the byproduct is that you regretted something you did. You had remorse, you had guilt, you had shame. There was some sort of, some sort of humiliation. See, when I become the central focus of my life, my life takes a turn. 
And when those things happen, it is incredibly difficult to find joy. How do you find joy when you feel regret and remorse and shame and, and humiliation? How do, you, how do you even experience joy in that? See, when that happens to us, in the middle of those moments, we suddenly become aware, I might be breathing, but I'm not really alive. Um, when Sherry and I, we brought home our first child from the hospital, uh, there was something that happened in our home. Um, in fact, the central focus of our universe really shifted. Uh, see, up until that time, we were a fun-loving, adventure-seeking couple. We had these two hairy, slobbering, nasty, mangy threats to humanity living with us. Um, we didn't see him that way before Morgan came home from the hospital. Um, but when she was born, when she came home, before that, our dogs were the best. We had a Springer Spaniel. Her name was Lacey. We had a Chow Sharpay mix named Dakota. And they were our, they were the, we loved our dogs. But when we came home, when we had that moment that you've seen in the movies where the parents bring the car seat and the, the diaper bag and all the different things in the hospital, when we crossed the threshold of our house, I saw my dogs in an entirely new light. In fact, um, our gravitational pull shifted and centered around this new life. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that Dakota um, found a new home within the week. And uh, we realized that Chow Sharpays and babies didn't really mix that well. And then within a year, the Springer Spaniel was living in Hillsboro, Oregon with my in-laws, having a pampered life. And we were all a lot happier for this. That's because babies get the attention. When a baby comes into the world, a baby gets the attention. Now, let's back this up to the birth of this child that we're celebrating this time of year. This baby wasn't simply intended to be the center of the story for this obscure, unwed couple in Nazareth. The homecoming of this child delivers this sort of seismic shift to the gravitational pull of every single life in the universe. Everyone's attention now moves to this child, and that's the way it's intended to be. It's the centralization of Jesus rather than the centralization of ourselves. See, as, as I've considered um, what could be sneaking off with my joy over the past few weeks, I've come to realize the culprit is staring at me in the mirror every single day. When I hear people talk about, uh, you know, hey, don't let other people steal your joy or don't let your circumstances steal your joy. Um, let me just tell you this. People cannot steal something that Jesus gives to you. But you can give it up. You can let it go and you can misplace it. And when I look back at the last several months and I try to discern, when I try to discern why in certain moments I have found mega joy and why I haven't in others, I realize it is directly tied to the fixation of my attention. I found that my mega joy moments are the moments that, and I never expected them. They are the moments though when I was completely tuned in to Jesus. There have been some times in the last several months when I have just looked and all I could see was Jesus working in these times and I was overwhelmed with joy. But on the contrary, consistently, when I survey my most hopeless moments over the past few months, every single time, do you want to know who the center of the story was? Yours truly. See, when I'm the center of my story and the plot turns sideways, there's nowhere else to turn. But when my attention is fixed on Jesus, it tells me that there is always 
going to be a way out. There will always be a plot twist. There will always be a backup plan. And that, in that moment, when you realize that, can deliver a joy that transcends any circumstance, no matter how dark it is. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, he said, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong and that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault. That is all. God is in the manger, wealth in poverty, light in darkness, succor in abandonment. No evil can befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who is secretly revealed as love and rules the world and our lives. So let me close with a practical note. My wife loves tea tree oil. Um, I hate the way that tea tree oil smells. Um, but my wife, she swears it works. And, uh, and, and last summer, uh, I got sunburned. And I got sunburned pretty good. And she said, hey, let me put some of this snake oil, you know, whatever it is that, that stinks really bad. She wanted to put this snake oil on me to heal me up. And I was really hesitant. But then I was like, oh, it hurts so bad. And we didn't have any aloe vera. And so I said, okay. Within hours, there was this miraculous transformation that took place on my back. And I was like, this is a miracle thing. So these days I'm slathering the stinky stuff on everything. Like I get a cut. I'm like, where's the tea tree oil? I'm always looking for it. I liberally apply the tea tree oil to just about everything these days. I couldn't just smell it. I had to apply it. Which brings me to this. In fact, right now I'm going to invite the band to come back and, and join me. But it leads me to this. We need to liberally apply the joy of Jesus during times like these. That doesn't mean that we deny the, 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 the realities of what are taking place around us. That doesn't mean that we try to dwell in shallowness. In fact, it actually might do some of us some good to do what I did at the beginning of this message. And maybe I encourage you to do that. Maybe, maybe it's time that we describe our desolations and, and write down all the things that we are desperately disappointed with over the last nine months and to, to put those things before the Lord for us to consider our hardships, but then for us to stop and consider how the birth of this child, Jesus, didn't just change the center of one person's life, but it changed the center of all of our lives and all of our stories. And the reality that that makes a joy available to every one of us if we'll just shift our gaze to him. You know, when I consider the narrative of Jesus his life begins in the dark. It begins in the dark of night. It begins in a town that isn't even their home. It begins with an unwed couple. It begins under the threat of murder in this desolate Roman colony. And whenever I think about all those things together, it's like I can see the twinkle in God's eye. And there's always a smile that comes to my face. And I realize there will be joy found no matter the circumstance. So we're going to close by singing together, but as we do, would you join me and let's pray together. Jesus, right now, we just thank you for your story, how your story is told, how it emerges from the pages of scripture. Speak to the moments that we find ourselves in now, Lord. You have joy available for us. And I pray right now for all of us watching this everywhere we are, that we would experience an uncommon joy in uncommon circumstances. In Jesus' name.
amen. We're gonna worship together and I'll be back in a moment to offer the benediction. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought were dead.
My genuine prayer for you as you watch this is that you would be men and women who don't settle for shallow, oblivious, naive joy. My prayer is that you would not be men and women stuck in the depths of sorrow, but may you be men and women who push through the darkness to the other side and may you experience the depth of joy that comes when you center your life and center your world on the person of Jesus. In his name, amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much for taking time to tune in with us. Feel free to share this with friends, tell somebody about it. And again, we will see you guys next Sunday. See you later.